Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, English teacher and school principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at at Sarah S.A. Johnson. Be sure to subscribe to the In Awe Podcast so you can join me each week as I feature women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast. We are in a series on connectors this month of July 2023. I am so excited to share with you our final guest for the series. We had such an awesome conversation. And uh, anytime I get an opportunity to make a connection with an incredible educator is a great day. And I cannot wait to share her with you. Erica Bear has been a proud educator for over 20 years, serving in a variety of roles. She currently serves as the assistant superintendent for the Ashland School District in beautiful Southern Oregon. She grew up in Portland, Oregon, graduating from the University of Oregon with a master's in education in 2001. She dove headfirst into her career as a special education teacher at the middle school level. In this work, she endeavored to provide each student with the individualized supports needed to reach their limitless potential. This continued to inspire her when her family relocated to Southern Oregon and she became a special education teacher on special assignments serving K through 12 students. She earned her administrative credentials in 2012 at Southern Oregon University and transitioned to an administrative role at award-winning Ashland High School as assistant principal and then principal. She had the great privilege of teaching and learning alongside a tremendous group of educators for seven joy-filled years. Following a desire to work with our youngest students, she moved to the elementary level as a principal in a neighboring district before being called to have a broader impact at the district office level, overseeing special education, counseling, and behavioral health, social emotional learning, and elementary programs. Supporting all students through individualized supports continues to fuel her today, serving as both her why and her passion. Erica is the co-author of Connecting Through Conversations, a playbook for talking with students, and has developed and led workshops and professional development activities addressing a multitude of topics in education, communication, and leadership. These include school improvement science, universal design for learning, special education, equity, diversity, and inclusion, orientation and training for administrators, leadership curriculum, instruction, assessment, family outreach, engagement, and of course, how to connect through conversations in schools. Erica lives in Southern Oregon with her extremely supportive husband, two remarkable teenage children, and a very mischievous cat. She feels especially fortunate to live in the community that she serves. In this episode, we discuss Erica's educational journey and what led her to co-author a book, the importance of connection in our schools, and the need to include all adults who talk with kids in the development have those conversations. And Erica shares insights into her passion for serving educators to better serve children. I had such fun connecting with Erica, and I know that you can see why we became fast friends and that you will really appreciate her story. It is my honor to share with you Erica Bear's Connector's Story. Welcome, Erica Bear, to the In Awe Podcast. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. So you and I are new friends. And we get to know each other just a little bit on the show today, but my listeners got to hear a little bit about your bio. Would you be willing to share with us just a little bit about your current context? Of course. Yeah. So I am the assistant superintendent in the Ashland School District. I kind of joke that that's my day job. It brings me a ton of joy. I get to work in special education where my heart is, counseling, and then elementary programs and a bunch of other things. And then I get to 
gain a ton of joy and excitement as an author, presenter, and professional development for educators. So that's what I also do. And so both of those things together have really built um, an amazing professional life. And I feel super, super fortunate. I live in Ashland, which most people don't know. Ashland, Oregon, not to be confused with the other Ashlands out there in Southern Oregon, which is just a phenomenal part of the country. It is gorgeous. And we have tons of opportunity to be outdoors here. So that is who I am and where I am. Love it. So you've got a day job and a night job. (laughs) Yeah, all the jobs. Also should mention, I have two just awesome kids and an amazingly supportive husband that keep me very busy as well. And and your kids are in their teen years. Is that accurate? That is accurate. And actually, um, we're in a point of transition. My daughter is leaving for college in just a few short weeks. So that is going to be a big shift for our family. And then my son is 15. So learning how to drive right now. It's a very exciting time at our house. Oh, man, you've got a lot of milestones happening. That's, That's a big right. Deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been exciting. That is and so terrifying. Cool. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Believe me, I that word terrifying rings, even as I consider it with my own children. And I, we haven't crossed that bridge yet of the driving world, but we're there just on the cusp of it. So I've been thinking a lot about that. If you end up having any tips, having gotten one through it and on the cusp of one, <laughs> just let me know. <laughs> yeah. Breathe and don't be afraid to close your eyes. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. That sounds like a great connection there. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, okay. So I I do have a little sidestep question here. Have you always lived in Oregon or you a native to Oregon or did you transplant there? What's that story? Yeah, I am a native Oregonian. So I grew up in the Portland area, which is obviously a much, much more central place in the state. And I grew up there, went to college at the University of Oregon in Eugene. That's where I met my husband. And then we lived in Portland for a while and relocated down here to raise our family. And we just feel very fortunate. It sounds like a beautiful, blessed life. Yeah, absolutely. And I have only been to Oregon a few times in my life. They were all when I was a child. My family, I had aunts that lived in Bandon. Oh. Is that a beautiful area? It is one of my favorite places. Yes. Yeah, so the Oregon coast, and I've been to many coasts, and I am a little bit biased, but I think the Oregon coast is some of the most stunning coastline, um, certainly in the country. Uh, and Bandon is no exception. So that's really what I recall is, yeah, that gorgeous coastline. And yep. so every time somebody says Oregon, I think of them. And, and in fact, I think they were like my great aunts. So like my sister, my grandma's sisters. And here's something pretty cool because we're in the in community. And it's just an area of my life that I need to re-explore now that I'm an adult and think it through. But I know that the three of them, their husbands had all passed and they ended up living together. And we would get like, uh, you know, early on in my marriage, wedding cards, anniversary, whatever that would say from Widow Haven. So they like branded themselves. Oh, <laughs> what a Hampton. great way to build community. I love that. Exactly. I knew that you'd appreciate that connection because yeah. it's something I legit have not thought about probably for a decade. They've all passed. And so just that connection is pretty cool. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. All right. So, well, hey, we have you featured here on the In Out podcast in this series on connectors. And it makes a lot of sense because here we are making these connections. Hope listeners found a connection as we talk through. But you also kind of have, I don't know if it's a niche, but a personal connection to this concept of being a connector through 
your life message and probably uh, certainly the ways that you've lived this out, but you just recently co-authored a book. You want to talk a little bit about connecting through conversations? Yes. Thank you so much. I would love that. Um, this book really came about, Tiffany is my co-author and she's um, a long-term colleague and it really started with our connection and having those professional, I call them like your professional BFs, like that person who can be a true sounding board for you in a confidential way and help you see where you're, where you're having blind spots and where you can grow and then also support you. And she's been that for me for many, many years. And we had always talked about working on a project together and she had, we were having a conversation. She's a principal in um, the same district where I work. And we were having a conversation about some work she had been doing with kids and this amazing kind of verbal judo that she had used to get through it. And she said, that's the book we need is how to, how to talk with kids. And I was like, Oh, great. And I was thinking she meant go buy this book. It will help everybody. (laughs) And what she actually meant was this is a book that we need to write. And I looked everywhere trying to find it. I was like, where is this book? And I'm every combination of talking with kids I looked for and could not find. And so what we, and she's like, yes, that's because we have to write it. So she did laugh at me a little bit, but we got through it. And what we found is there was this real need to think about how are we building connections with our students and their caregivers in such a way that is supporting students in their learning, supporting students with um, how they are in the world, and supporting educators with feeling connected and supported in schools. And so that kind of became our driving force and message in the book. And it's been a really phenomenal journey to be able to work on that together in connection and then also be able to share our message of connection with all of the educators out there. It's really incredible. And I love that you're, you kind of shared that little evolution of realization that, no, 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 we need to write this book. Because yeah. is it like <laughs> Toni Morrison that said, if there's a book out there that you you know haven't read, you should write it. I know I just butchered that quote, but. Yes, <laughs> yes, it- yes that's exactly right. And it was, um, we had quite a, quite a bit of laughter around that because I really did spend a solid hour trying to find the book that she was talking about before I reached back out to her. So we really did find that it was, it was something that was needed. It was something that we needed. We had spent so much time as we coach educators and we're working in different schools and supporting districts. We were finding that these same themes and topics came up as a need and what folks were finding the most helpful were those really strategic and simple techniques that can can turn a conversation and can turn a relationship in a positive way to really help build those connections that can be a difference maker for a kid and and for an educator. And so seeing both the need and the whole, we thought, well, we better get writing. And we did. I love that. If we could just dive in a tiny bit further into the content of the book, because I see the subtitle is a playbook for talking with students. And it's interesting. I don't know if, um, you know, what your experiences have been. Mine is that Okay, when I take the Clifton Strength Finder, one of my strengths is connectedness. So for me, this feels, you know, it's just kind of natural. It's the way you do things. But I have worked with plenty of educators who do struggle in making those genuine connections and learning how to talk with students. And I'm sure that you, in the strategies, have, um, you know, how to coach through de-escalation. And and we can talk more about that. But just curious, you, you said that there was a gap that you could fill. Do you think that 
um, this is like a gap in teacher preparation programs? Is it personality based or why, where do you think that gap exists for adults being able to effectively connect with students? I think we spend a lot of time in education preparation programs and professional development and kind of literature around education talking about why it's so important um, that we have these strong connected relationships and why we need to spend our time and focus there. We spend a lot less time talking about how to do it, how to build relationships in a really kind of concrete step-by-step way. For many of us, it's really intuitive. And even then, there are such small, important tweaks to our language and tweaks to how we approach a conversation that can make such a substantial difference in how that conversation goes, right? And so... (laughs) (laughs) It's taking that we know the why. I feel like most of us, if not all of us, we really hope all of us got into education because we love kids. And if that's not the case, then we really really do invite people to think about their life choices. But most folks chose education because they love kids and they love talking to kids and they love being with kids. And so we're not saying to anybody that you don't know how to talk to kids. It's really... Here are the small, subtle shifts you can make in your conversation and how you are connecting around in student behaviors, how you're connecting around getting to know um, each individual student and their circumstances, around how you're thinking about student behavior and how you're communicating that back to the student and the teachers and the student's team in such a way that can really build a positive support plan for that student. So it's really, it takes us from the the why to the real step-by-step, here's how to do it. So we spend, you know, some brief time on the overall context and why, but it's really meant to be a playbook for, okay, here's how you actually do it. I know I was, had more than one opportunity with this kind of like deer in the headlights moment with a student where they're trying to maybe pull me into a power struggle or they say something that just kind of knocks me off my equilibrium and having a back pocket way to respond is super helpful. I am pretty sure that is all. (laughs) I hope so. I just, yeah, I know for sure for me, having those just like really quick, easy to pull out can be such a savior when you're, when you're in the thick of it with kids, when things start to get sticky. Yeah. And can we just take a moment to say that I don't care what veteran you are, how long you've been working, there are those sticky moments all the time because that's kind of the beautiful thing about what we do is that we are not working with, you know, factory widgets. We have beautiful, complex human beings in front of us all the time. (laughs) A strategy that you have in there might work with one student and totally backfire with another, right? So I think having the, you know, tools inside of that for you to pull from is fantastic. I do appreciate what you said. It seems like there is a ton about the why, Mm -hmm. but the how is the challenge. And when I think about over the years, you know, you're an administrative position. When you onboard your staff, you understand there's a mix of, of people who have had experiences, you know, veteran people who have maybe even not experienced what they're dealing with now in terms of the student population or the role or whatever that happens to be. So lots of dynamic here. 
I see that um, on your website, it says building a culture of connection requires strong communication skills. This book will give educators these skills along with tools, strategies, and templates to create a culture of connection in schools. So I'm curious, it sounds like you've built a wonderful resource for listeners that are interested in grabbing this book. What would be just like two points that you think you'd like them to know that they can pull from here? Yeah, I think there's a ton, (laughs) but I think there's a section in here on power struggles that is really powerful because it is that moment for a lot of educators where they feel a little bit on the back foot and then they maybe respond in a way that isn't from their best self. Mm -hmm. And so this gives you a way to respond that's going to help the student and help the educator. I think that's really powerful. We spend quite a bit of time on how to make sure that students are catching our calm and the contagiousness of emotions that exists and how we can use that to our advantage and also how we can be aware of it so that we're not catching the emotions of students when that's not healthy for us. I think those are two really powerful parts of the book. And that's for everybody, every single person who works with kids. We really spend a lot of time emphasizing this is for educational assistants, bus drivers, cafeteria staff, teachers, administrators. If you talk to kids, this is for you. For administrators, the chapter that the feedback that we're getting as we're as we're working with different schools and doing professional development is for administrators, the part about communicating with caregivers and how those conversations with the student's team goes is super powerful in helping to build relationship outside of the immediate school building and being able to team together to really support students um, when they made an unexpected choice. There's so much here that I'm just excited about. But two of the things that I wanted to pull and make sure to highlight is that you said, and I saw this, if you talk to kids, this is for you. And how frequently in our systems do we just bypass our classified staff that are some of the most important touch points that our students have all throughout the day? That's exactly right. I think about our bus drivers. They're the first and last people, last adults that our students see when they're engaging with school every single day. And that's powerful for setting the tone for the day and then also what you're walking home with to sit with for for the evening and into the next day. Our educational assistants oftentimes are spending a significant amount of time with our students who struggle the most and they need these skills and they want these skills. Another moment that Tiffany had that she'll talk about is a professional development that she did with educational assistants. And they were writing every single thing she said down because having that actionable, clear response is so powerful for them. And they love kids and they are in schools to support our kids. And if we're not working as a cohesive team, then we can't build that school culture that will really allow everyone to thrive. Absolutely. And when you think about the power of connection and building this culture of connection, I don't know, I think about, you know, recess aides and playground aides and right. uh, the people who serve the food, because you're, you're also talking about some of the 
very few unstructured times in students' right. days. Yeah, <laughs> which is say the most challenging times. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. So they yeah. need to be equipped. And also, it can be the most challenging time, but also if you have a culture of connection, the most beautiful time, right? Like if you flip that on yeah. its head a little bit and you truly are trying to build a culture of connection and we're empowering our people with the tools that they need, what a beautiful school experience for a kid, for all kids, yes. you know, that they can be seen and valued in the lunchroom, you know, and on the playground and in the lines and on the bus. And I just, I feel like this is something that in all the years that I've been in education, sadly gets way glossed over. 100% agree. If, if you could see me right now, I'm nodding my head. <laughs> um, and I could not agree more. I think it's just so critical to a school's success that our support personnel are equipped with what they need. It's not fair to put them in these positions that are so critical for kids um, without the tools necessary to do the job well. So we're really passionate about that, providing those supports and information for every single person in the school building. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for making sure to you know explicitly include that in your book and also for in the development programs that you offer, because I feel like it's just such a gap. And I know why it is like I'm not I, I the other thing is we know that budgets are what they are and the factory right. system works the way it does. And we don't know if we can pay our classified staff to be able to get this development. And there's all sorts of stupid little barriers that break yep. down the ability to do this. And I understand that. But hopefully as people are listening and as you and I are speaking passionately about this, we can do better. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think we love going and doing professional development with everybody in a school. And we know that it's hard sometimes for classified staff with their schedules, which is why the book is such a helpful resource because that can be done at any time and a, and a school can really work that into a schedule and a, and a series of discussions that can both build that community of connection and be done in a way that, that works with the true limitations. <laughs> so yes. In charge of professional development, the true limitations that exist in a school schedule. Yep. Very good. So I love that. What an awesome resource. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. And then you had said too, when you were talking about providing specific resource in there for administrators. And I have to tell you that as you were talking, my heart was just pounding because I think we just expect administrators to be able to jump in and handle these really intense interactions with care providers, with teams, that they can just naturally navigate these really that can be very challenging conversations, providing supports for our students all throughout the lifespan. And, you know, I know that that's one thing that I work as an adjunct professor, and I try to build that into some of the programming. But I also think it's one of those gaps that until you're behind the desk, you don't even know what you're going to face in that realm. And so having this nice resource to put that in the forefront and provide toolbox for administrators is so wonderful. I think back oftentimes when I started as an assistant principal, a student had made a really unexpected choice and making that phone call home and hanging up and knowing that I hadn't done it as well as I wanted to. <laughs> you know, there I'm like, if I could just try that again, if I had just kind of written out my talking points ahead of time, if I had just really started with how much I care about this student 
and how much I want us to be able to team together to, to support the student and making, making sure that this doesn't happen again, it would have gone entirely differently. And, you know, I, no one trained me how to do that in administrator school, you know, no one walked me through those parent phone calls. Cause you're right. There's this expectation that administrators just know And it's not always intuitive and it is a high pressure conversation. And there are times when we're as educators taking in some real feelings about whatever just took place or whatever's happening. And so even just the toolkit about how to, how to set that aside and be focused on what this, what this is going to feel like and, and be for the, for the student's caregiver and how we can really partner together, it's a skill set and it's not always intuitive. And so our hope was if we could really bullet point it out and make it really clear what needs to be included in those conversations and where our heart needs to be coming from in those conversations, that it would um, hopefully help help them learn from some of the mistakes, at least I made early on, um, and and also provide some confidence because it is these are scary conversations to walk into if you don't have experience with them. Fantastic. Oh, I'm so excited. I have not had a chance to read the book yet, but I am really excited to do that and to provide Mm -hmm. that as a resource for the aspiring administrators that I do work with because you do often feel blindsided by those. And then that's right. You know, and a huge part of that too, like you said, is there's a learning curve in any new role. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of that lack of practice or lack of structure can be very anxiety producing, you know, especially when you want it to go well. And as you kind of shared where you hung up and you realized I could have done that better. I, I was listening and thinking, oh, I think I have about like 10 examples in my mind right now. I'm, just... I'm not going to pretend that was the only time I hung up feeling that way. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that time for sure stands out. Yeah. Oh, but you know, too, as, as we look at culture and we look about, you know, making sure that we are creating that culture of connectedness, there is always an opportunity to circle back. But you do really yeah. want to be as, you know, I always think about Jimmy Costas's work, the director of first impressions, and that's, that's really right. important. And we want to leave people with an experience that they can speak, that they felt treated fairly and cared about. And it seems to me like you've put together a really wonderful structure to help people with that. So thank you for doing that. Thank you. Okay. So we, I just, I want to know just a little bit more about you personally. We spent a lot of good time in that book and I'm so yes. excited about it. I, I just can't wait, but I'm just so curious, you know, what led you to the field of education, it seems to me like you've got a massive skill set. And from everything I've seen when you write, you were just a natural writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what led you to education as, as a field? Well, when I was growing up, I was for sure going to be a writer. That was my life plan. And that was what I wanted to do. I loved it. I loved everything about it and really thought that that would be my career path. When I got to university, I I was doing some volunteer work in schools and I was spending a lot of time with kids. My mom is an educator. She was a child development specialist and I had seen both the joy that she brought home and the toll that that, the emotionality of that work takes. And so I had some reservations, but as the more and more I was spending time in school spaces, the more I realized that was my calling and where I wanted to be. So I, I made a shift and pursued education. My 
plan was 100%. Again, I was very clear. <laughs> I wanted to be a middle school math teacher. That was kind of my ideal. Middle school is a favorite age for me. I have so much time with kids in that age range. I love all kids, but have so much fun with middle school kiddos. And math was an area that I, I was excited to teach. And the program I went through had everyone who was being endorsed as an elementary mid-level teacher also got a special education endorsement. So I did a bunch of training in that area as well and just had a huge passion for it. Did not think I was going to change course. But when I went to an interview as I was looking for my first job, I had a very savvy excellent principal who I had the opportunity to work with for uh, many years. And I'm so grateful for that time. But he kind of looked at me after the interview and he said, you know, you could do either one of these jobs. And, and if you tell me you want to do the math job, then that is the job I will offer you. Here's why I think special education might be a path for you. And I made the decision in that interview to choose the special education position, and that has changed everything for the better. It was one of the happiest accidents I've had. He was very savvy because, of course, the assistant principal was like wide-eyed, like, we need, we can find a math teacher. We can't find a sped teacher. So she was pretty nervous, but it was the best choice I could have made. And I have been in education ever since and not regretted a single moment or career shift that I've made. So feel really, really fortunate. That is so fantastic. And as I think, I always love listening to people's origin stories and seeing how they kind of weave throughout life and where they guide you because you don't know that at the time, no. right? Yeah. But I just love so much that you originally wanted to be an, uh, you know, a writer and here you are full. It's like a full circle life moment where you're published and you've used that skill to yeah. serve the profession that has you know, grown you and that you've poured into. And that's just so beautiful. And that the connection with one person in an interview yep. could have led your path that way yep. is so powerful. I'm still so grateful to him. And that was so many years ago, but he really did have such an influence on my direction and it changed everything. So super grateful. Um, it just brings me such joy hearing those yeah. stories and, and yeah. you know where that's led you so far and just to know that there's so many, so much more that you're going to continue yep. to offer. It's really cool. Yeah. All right. So Erica, I am, I'm almost sad to have to shift us here to ask you our two standard questions. <laughs> I know you still have <laughs> so much more to offer us, but yeah. it's been such a wonderful time connecting with you today. But are you ready for those? I'm ready. Yeah. All right. So if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? So I thought a lot about this, and I think I would go back to when I was just starting out as an educator, and the message I would be sending myself is that you can do hard things. I've come to recognize that when it's the right thing to do, I'm really able to do the thing. And when I think back over kind of the professional leaps that I've made or the different paths that I've taken... They were so riddled with this kind of fear and self-doubt that held me back in a way that was really unnecessary and um, counterproductive because I can do it. I do have the skills and um, it just takes that leap. And had I learned that earlier, I think it would have been a smoother path. I think I also 
might have slipped in there, like, don't forget to take care of yourself and your body and your health. <laughs> and, um, you know, when you're 23 and everything feels recoverable, um, take a minute. <laughs> so yeah. I love it. Uh, and, you know, too, I think this message that you're sharing is kind of surrounding, kind of around this concept of um, the uh, imposter syndrome that we yep. all just kind of experience. And, yep. And we don't talk about it maybe till we hit our 30s or 40s, yeah. whenever we're ready, right? Yep. And then you realize that, wow, others suffer from that too. Even people who have been very successful yeah. challenge with that all the time. So thank you for sharing that. And also, oh, and hint, hint, take care of your bodies, right? Yeah. This is one. <laughs> don't oh. forget. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And your, yeah. you know, mental wellness. These are things that um, you can't take for granted. And I, you know, I was the youngest teacher in my school when I started for probably the first seven years. I was the youngest administrator in the district when I started being an administrator again for a, for a long period of time. And so being one of the youngest and just starting out, you really do, that imposter syndrome is real. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that insight too, because you have been on a path. And I know I just want to keep peeling some layers from your story because I know uh, part of what you shared too is that this idea of being a young administrator and a spouse and a, a parent is yep. also a whole added layer of not only can you do it because the world and the society has so much to say about that, right. whispers, but mm -hmm. also um, that whole idea of caring for yourself through this stage, those stages and, right. you know, the challenge of raising children. Do you have any, I, I think that I read somewhere in some of the notes yeah. that you shared, there was a really bright moment from a mentor that had said something to you. And I would love to be able to pull that out here in the interview. Do you recall what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. Yeah. So I had the most fortunate experience to work with a phenomenal educator. Her name is Michelle Cummings. She's still out there doing amazing things in the field of education. And she was the principal when I started as assistant principal. And I was really struggling with the, you know, the whole idea of balance, which is a bit of a myth, but this idea of being away from my kids to the degree that I was. And she said, you know, if there is someone with your kids who loves them, they are going to thrive. And I was really fortunate. We'd built a, a circle of care for my kids that meant that they were spending every single minute with someone who really loved and cared for them. And that made all the difference for me to just kind of frame it that way and, and knowing that I'm not the only person who can love and care for my kids. I have a very specific role as mom and, and um, wanting to fulfill that and also knowing that if I'm surrounding them with even more people who love and care about them, I'm only adding to what they're going to be able to do in life. So I've really carried that with me as I've figured out how to, how to do that whole thing of being where my feet are. Yeah. And what a gift at an early stage. Yeah. I wish yeah. that I would have interviewed you sooner or heard that advice sooner <laughs> yeah. myself because there is that very real challenge of this belief um, as professional women leaders mm -hmm. that we need to be able to do it all. And it's just such a silly little lie. I, I remember reading somewhere that we can be the moon, but we need plenty of stars in their universe to keep them lit up too. Oh, you know? I love that. Yes. That one came, I think, yeah. from Jen Hatmaker. Somewhere along the line, I had heard that, and it really affirmed for me that I can't center myself for them. They need right. many people in their lives. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, okay, wonderful. How about this one? If listeners find themselves in a pit of fear or doubt, what could you say to help them rise up out of it? 
Again, I go back, you know, I actually am fiddling with this right now. I have this, it's a copper circle and it says, beautiful girl, you can do hard things. And when I'm in a place of doubt or fear, I always go back to that. You will come out the other side, whatever this is. Every challenge, mistake, misstep is an opportunity to learn and grow and and try and stay focused on looking forward. You know, I think Carl Bard said, though no one can go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start from now and make a brand new ending. And I really, I think about that often, especially when the road ahead looks like a place you don't want to go. Think about changing the destination. Think about changing um, how you want the story to end. All of that you know, when you kind of put it together, I don't think this is easy. It's really hard. And the only way to get through a difficult situation or time in your life is to have the courage to continue and persevere, whatever that means. So, you know, surround yourself with people who love and value you, build that community of connection for yourself, talk to a counselor, stay focused on what you can impact in a positive way. And, you know, always say yes to what is serving you and release whatever isn't. Kaboom. <laughs> <laughs> always say yes to what is serving you and release what isn't. Yeah. And by the way, that serving you, mm-hmm. I've come across this just in the last six months of my life, is that if it is for my highest good, it is absolutely going to be for the people that I love for their highest good too. Yes. And I think yes. sometimes we feel like those have to be in competition and they just really don't. Yeah, at all. They can, yep. The synergy there is everything. So beautiful. So much wisdom. I am going to be going back to listen to every last word that you said <laughs> there because I know it was meant for me too. Beautiful girl, you can do hard things. So this has been such a joy. Thank you. Oh, Erica, you are just a blessing. I'm so glad that Connect Ed Publishing has your message with Tiffany out there. And would you do me a favor and just let listeners know what is the best way to interact with you after this interview? Yeah, so you can connect with us through all of the platforms and probably the easiest way to get there is through our website, which is connectingthroughconversation.com. So Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, all of that. Our Twitter is at CTC Playbook, um, and that's a great way to get in touch with us. But our website is an excellent place to start. Fantastic. Listeners, we will link that. As you know, we will also be sure to get a link to the incredible book that we've been unpacking here today when we talked about connecting through conversation, a playbook for talking with students by Miss Erica Bear and also her co-author Tiffany Burns. Please connect with the show notes to be able to get a hold of that. I know I will be grabbing one just as soon as we're done. And I'm so grateful that you would take the space to have this awesome conversation and that you continue to serve in the ways that you do, little and large, locally and globally. Thank you so much, Erica. Oh, thank you, Sarah. I am so grateful for this time. I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.